never heard it before, maybe you have. The acronym is GRIN. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? It stands for this. Genetic Engineering, Robotics, Information Technology, and Nanotechnology. GRIN. Don't you just want to smile when you think of those things? They're pretty big. In fact, I wonder how many of you are familiar with what nanotechnology is. I wasn't. It was kind of a new thing to me. Nanotechnology is the manufacture of microscopic little machines that are implanted into our cells and put there in order to repair certain things. It's pretty cool stuff. Cutting edge technology way out there. Science has made huge advancements. And science pretty much figures now in some corridors of education that they have all the hows and the whats and the whys of all life. They've got it encapsulated. Their knowledge encompasses all these things. And yet there's an interesting thing that goes on in our world with most people that as much as our technology has advanced, as much as we know what we know, as much as we believe in our own brilliance and confidence in our own knowledge, we still are people that believe in luck. And you don't think that's true? Think about that for a second. Luck is really a chance force that causes good or bad things to happen. Watch somebody avoid walking under a ladder. Or watch somebody freak out if they break a mirror. Watch somebody drop salt and throw it over their shoulders. People do all sorts of things. You ever watch them at sports events when, you know, somebody gets up to do something and they have this whole pattern or they're wearing those lucky socks or something like that. Our great knowledge and yet we believe in luck. For instance, when they built the new Yankee Stadium several years ago, as they were building it, one of the contractors who worked in cement was a Red Sox fan. He took the jersey by David Oritz and he put it in some of the new cement that he was doing and covered it over because he wanted to jinx the team when they played. You know what? You would think, oh, that's kind of funny. Who cares? It mattered so much to the Yankee organization that they spent $50,000 to tear up that cement and remove the jersey so that it wouldn't jinx the team when they played. We believe in luck. We believe in chance. We believe in superstition. And I say that because that's pretty much the place that Paul was in this morning as he comes into Athens. Two things in tension there. Athens was the most brilliant, the most knowledgeable city in antiquity that was known. A place that always wanted to be known for their brilliance and their philosophy. But they also wanted to make sure they covered all the bases. And so they had idols. Hundreds of idols for different gods so that they would be sure everything was covered. Architecture, culture, literature, philosophy, names like Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. This is Athens. Rome had left Athens as a free city, which was unusual when Rome conquered somewhere. But because of all that Athens had meant to the world and what it brought in terms of its knowledge and brilliance... Rome, of that city alone, left it to be free and to govern itself in its own empire. And the scripture goes on to say that while Paul was waiting in Athens, in this city, 
He was greatly distressed, really bothered him to see all these idols. And so he went and he reasoned, it says, day by day in marketplaces and in different places with Jews and with Gentiles, with those who would debate with him. He reasoned. That word really means that he was using knowledge as the base to go back and forth because in that city, that was the highest good to use reason to discuss something. You know, Paul says in Corinthians that I have become all things to all people in order that I might win some for the gospel. When Paul went into a specific city, he put his finger kind of on the pulse of what was going on in that city so he could figure out how to begin to address them, how to work himself into the situation. And in Athens, it had to do with reason. It had to do with those things. And people heard him speaking. But in the minds of the Athenians, in their brilliance, in all of the things that they encompassed, When Paul talked about words that they had never heard, about Jesus Christ who died and rose again and he got there, they said, we've never heard something like this about a God. We've never heard this. This must be foreign. We need to know more, Paul. Come to the area where we debate these things, where we come together and we'll listen to you. And so Paul did. And it says, and then he stood up in the meeting at the Areopolis, And said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. He's not really complimenting them. He's kind of amazed that they have hundreds of gods. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found even an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I think it's important that we stop there. And I want you to know the backstory on this idol, on this altar that Paul found that says, to an unknown God. In the 6th century BC, it's recorded, 600 years before Jesus, there was a plague that took place in Athens. The Athenians had sacrificed to all of their gods, the hundreds of them, and the plague was not lifted. And so they sent a member of the Athenian council off to what was known as an oracle, some place to go and get some division on, or some divining on what's going on. And they said, why is our city under a plague? And the oracle said this to them, your city is under a plague because your king, when he made a peaceful truce with another people that you conquered, broke that truce and slaughtered everyone, men, women, and children. And so that curse has come upon you. And here's what you need to do. You need to send to the island of Crete for a man named Epidemus. And Epidemus is a seer. He has knowledge of things beyond personal knowledge. And bring him back to Athens and he will be able to help you. So they did that. They brought this Epidemus back to them. And he came there and he said, before tomorrow, here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow morning, we're going to go out to Mars Hill. And I want you to gather flock of sheep. I want them to be healthy, and I want them not to have eaten. I want them to be hungry. And he said, bring along with you stonemasons at the same time, and we'll meet tomorrow. And so they got out there in the morning, and they're asking Epimedes, kind of, why are you doing this? And he says, I want to tell you this, and I want you to hear his speech to the leaders. He says this, learned elders... You have already expended great effort in offering sacrifice to your more than 200 gods, yet all has proved futile. 
I am about now to offer sacrifices based on three assumptions. The first assumption is this, that there is still another God concerned in this matter whose name is unknown to us and is not represented by any idol in your city. Two, that this God is great enough and good enough to do something about the plague if we ask. And three, that any God great enough and good enough to do something about the plague is also great enough and good enough to show mercy to us for our ignorance. If we acknowledge our ignorance and ask for forgiveness. And so he ordered them that they release the sheep onto the hill, hungry as they were, and the sheep went out over this meadow. And Epimedes prayed to heaven, and this is what he said, O thou unknown God, behold the plague affecting our city. If indeed you feel compassion to forgive and to help us, use this flock of sheep. Reveal your willingness to hear us by choosing sheep to lie down now in the grass instead of grazing. Those you choose, we will sacrifice to you, asking for forgiveness of our ignorance of your sacred name. And so as the sheep began to move, suddenly one by one, some sheep began to kneel down in the grass, stopped grazing, hungry as they were. And the people were amazed to see this. And Epimedes said immediately, get the stone masons and go and build an altar wherever a sheep has knelt down. And so they did this. And the people came and they said, okay, now you've made all these altars throughout you know, the grassy hill on Mars. What names should we put on those so that we can you know, worship them among our other gods in the future? And Epimedes shook his head and he said this, we must acknowledge our ignorance for all time so that all will know that we do not know who this God was. And so he instructed then that the words agnosto theo in Greek, which means to an unknown God, be inscribed on each of those altars. And the sheep were sacrificed and the plague was lifted. And like all humankind, the Athenians eventually forgot. Forgot why those altars were there, just thought of them as another one. And that's what Paul then said to them. You need to know who this God is who showed you mercy in your ignorance that you asked to lift this plague and to forgive you. And he began to tell them about that God, the maker of heaven and earth, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of how he had created all things and he'd gone through that and everything was going along well. Until Paul then moved into Jesus and he began to tell them about that gospel and how Jesus had died and had risen again from the tomb. And, it's, and all went well to that point. And then it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Now there were some that believed, a small number, but most of them in their knowledge and in their greatness and all the things that they debated all the time because that's how they lived their lives. They thought it was pretty preposterous that Paul would talk about the resurrection from the dead. Because they could agree on the immortality of the soul. Many of their philosophers had said that. But their own philosophers had written this. Once a man dies and the earth drinks up his blood, there is no resurrection. 
They could hear about what that unknown God had done in his plan for the world. And they could hear about Jesus and maybe they could say he was a great teacher or he was a great philosopher, a moral giant, that he was a worker of healings, that he was somebody that was inclusive, kind of like words that we might hear nowadays. There's not a lot of whole difference that's changed from Athens to the 21st century. And Paul tried. Paul tried to use rhetoric and reason and logic and all those things to appeal to them on that basis. But it didn't work well. Because, like us, they knew the hows. They knew the whys. They knew the what of what made life work for them, for the Athenians. And it's hard in our day and age to appeal to somebody and to win and to break down walls in that same approach. In fact, it bothered Paul so much that so many people weren't willing to listen that he rethought his approach. When he moved from Athens, he went to Corinth. And that's where Paul would write these words in Corinthians that I am determined to know nothing else than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul would go on to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died and rose again, for it is the power of God for salvation. You know, in our diaspora, our lives, as we go out throughout the world, we'll meet people that want to have arguments with us about faith and we'll want to use you know, reason and logic sometimes to address those things. We'll want to use the creation story to correct them on how things came about. We'll do our best in apologetics to try and win the day. But you know what the truth is? Proving the truth of Scripture doesn't change the hearts of mankind. Logic, rhetoric, knowledge, apologetic, none of those things. The only thing that can truly change the heart of someone, that can bring them to believe is that truth in the gospel of Jesus Christ, of Christ crucified. That Jesus had to die on the cross to take away the sins of the world, your sins and my sins. That that is the power of God that can transform hearts. Because that is the power that moves in us to sit in such awe and wonder of why would God love us so much? Why would God do this for me? As the scripture says, when I was an enemy, why would God reach across the eons, the maker of heaven and earth, to care what happens to me? And I would say because that's the power of God to change hearts and lives. And that's what we bring with us into the world. That hope that has been placed in us. That forgiveness that we know is unconditional. And how we live it out as we go out into the world is more than just words. It comes across in our actions. You know, Steve Wilson once told me a story of a pastor friend of his that was retiring. And he took Steve into his office and he had a file cabinet and he opened the drawer in the file cabinet and it was long and it was full and he said, Steve, every one of the sermons that I've ever preached in my whole career is in this file cabinet. And he said, the truth of it is, of all the sermons I've preached, there are probably only one or two words that people will ever remember. But what they will remember, they'll remember surrounding them 
in a crisis. They'll remember being comforted when someone was dying or they were dying. They'll remember crying with them in their sorrow. They'll remember praying with them in their sickness. They'll remember bringing that hope of Jesus Christ and His forgiveness one-on-one to a life. That's what people will remember. Because that's how we show that power of the gospel in our lives. We look at the sacrifice made for us. And we sacrifice in that same way. Jesus comes and he shows love and mercy. And sacrifice for each one of us. And as we go out, the power of the gospel is that we do the same. We love because we have been first loved. We forgive because we have first been forgiven. And we have hope because Christ died and rose again. And we too will rise. And that's his gift to us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the power of that gospel. Simple words. Words that aren't filled with lots of rhetoric and logic, but words that just testify of what you did for the world and for us. May we as your people always bring that simple hope out with us wherever we go, knowing that we can touch lives one-on-one and lives can be transformed simply by that power. Not by winning the day, but by showing that love to those around us. Help us always. Fill us with your spirit and empower us, Lord, to be your hands, your feet, and your voice to a broken world. We ask this in your name. Amen.